You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, good morning. Delighted you're here. You know, um, I, I think I'd probably say this every week, but I just really sense the presence of God. And, um, like, really sense the presence of God. And um, this, this, I kind of wish I'd spoken on healing, but maybe the Lord's going to use what I am speaking on. I think there's something really significant this morning around healing. And um, if, if, if you're in need of physical healing, I just want to say that because at the end we're going to pray for some people. So just I'd prepare your heart to respond to what the Lord's doing as we worship him, as we give ourselves to him. We're changed and we can be changed physically. Um, I get the sense as some of you have got uh, like a, a um, it's like a, it feels like a bruising of your muscles. I don't know if that even makes sense to you. It's like a, there's a heaviness and a weight to your muscles. There's, I think there's somebody with a, in your right foot, there's a, um, on, oh, so good I'm not medical, isn't it? in any way because then it's got to be the lord rather than me but there's something on your one of you uh, your heel on your right foot is just very painful walking then i'm going to try and explain this in a medical way but i have no idea what i'm on about on your right foot where your toes are just move forward a bit and where it's all joined together with a bony bit whatever that's called some of you will know that is significantly painful for some of you i just believe the lord's going to heal you so at the end if i forget those specific words let's press into them but um, I'm, I'm doing a, a, it's not a new series anymore, we're on the third week, but it's, it's called um, Known to be Grown, and it's based in the book of Corinthians. So I'd encourage you in your own time, if you haven't, read uh, 1 Corinthians. Next week we're going to dip into 2 Corinthians. But Paul wrote some letters to the churches at Corinth because there's some stuff going on that needed speaking into. And sometimes we've got to have hard conversations. We've got to have hard conversations with ourselves, among ourselves, to release life, to see the kingdom of God extended we've also got to be known we've got to be known by God but we've got to be known by others so that we can be grown and one of the best environments for us to be known is in relationship and walking alongside of us so uh, that's the context of where we're going today last week I spoke on um, a load of stuff but predominantly probably around the area of sex um, if you missed it, you're now probably scrolling and working out where you can find it. But that, I'd, I'd recommend go back on that one. We live in a highly, highly sexualized culture. And um, we, we've got to speak truth into that. And we've got to see what the Lord might want to say. And we want to look at the Bible and then try and apply it to our lives. Um, this, this week, if, uh, if, if you're new, you'll be like, Paul, where are you going? But some of you that have been around for a while, you've noticed I try and align things with the same letter. I've not done that for a very long time, but don't worry, I'm back. For those of you who are all thinking we weren't worried, but anyway, we are back. So let's, let's jump straight in with some of that. Paul had a passion, but he also had discipline. I'm going to try and align so many things around P today, it's going to be crazy. But Paul had a passion, but he also had discipline. That's where I want to go with some of what we look at this morning as the first, part, uh, first point. Because Paul was a guy, you may have noticed this as we've read Corinthians, he was on a mission. Last week I talked about predominantly not being distracted. It's because we have a job to do. He's not just calling you out of something, he's calling you 
into something. Paul's passion exceeded his position. Okay, that's probably the first point, the first P. Paul's passion exceeded his position. And uh, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 says this. I'm going to read it from my notes rather than the Bible because I'm going to jump around a little bit. But it says this. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not focus, so we do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try and find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul's passion exceeded his position. Paul was a guy of influence. He did have a place, a position, and had significant influence on the life of a number of people around him. But he did everything he possibly could, not to make it about him, but to make it about Jesus. He said, I try and find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. Honestly, so much of our lives naturally start to become about us. I want people to know what I do. I want people to know what I'm good at. I want people to know what I'm about. I want people to know what I'm known for. Paul, he just didn't function like that. He dealt with those insecurities. He did have a position, but he moved beyond it, and he moved beyond power and fame. Over the last month or so, I feel like I've, we've, we've spoken about money, we've spoken about sex. Actually, there's a whole thing wrapped up here in power. So much of us in our culture latches on to needing power, yielding power, having power over someone else, having someone else yielding power over us. And yet, for Paul, he's moved beyond position and he's moved beyond power and fame and lent into the kingdom and letting the only thing that would be lifted high in his life be Jesus. And I think that's the place that the Lord calls us to be. Kind of feels like a challenging start, doesn't it? It does as I was thinking about it and writing it because what does that look like for us? How's that going to have implication in our lives? Paul's passion didn't just exceed his position. Paul's passion exceeded his personal preferences. That took me a while to get four Ps in one sentence. But Paul's passion exceeded his personal preferences. He's trying to identify with all these different groups of people so that they might find, know, and share something of Jesus not find and know something about him but find know and share something of Jesus it's so easy I don't know if you find this to get locked in your lane you get locked in your lane of career life stage interests habits desires needs family needs the next the latest obsession you know whatever whatever it is the thing that maybe just needs to get done the thing that needs to happen the thing that you're working on that everybody needs to be aware of what's the what's the thing that eats most of your time and attention right now that's probably the thing well Paul's passion exceeded his personal preferences he says when I was with the Jews 
I like to, sorry, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who were weak, I shared their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Well, what, so what, does that, what does that even mean for us? I think we would be crossing a massive line if, if we were to say, when I was with a Man City fan, I became a Man United fan, or reverse it round. But what, what, is, what is the thing that we need to become for the sake of the other person? What does that actually look like in reality for us to allow our passion to exceed our personal preferences? That's quite a big deal because it's the thing we're passionate about. At times, I think that's going to mean listening rather than talking. You know, but at times that's going to mean when I see somebody struggling with loneliness that I'm going to leave the safety and the comfort of my place and my friendship groups to enable them and to cause them not to be in a place of loneliness. When I, when I see somebody who doesn't have much, that I'm going to step across the divide with my much to give them something that I have. We could probably come up with examples forever and ever. But he says, yes, I try and find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. Paul's passion exceeded his personal preference third p paul was high on people and low on procedure he says when i was with those that were weak i share their weakness for i want to bring the weak to christ yes i try and find common ground with everyone doing everything i can to save some i do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing paul knew what was worth living for and dying for and he knew what wasn't worth living for and what wasn't worth dying for see he prioritized people over procedure i think we've always tried to be a church like that we've always said that as a church it's people 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 it's not policy it's not program it's people he prioritized people and the proximity of jesus and jesus alone paul remained fixed on the mission and yet he was flexible in the method but he didn't take his eyes off jesus i do everything he says, to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Paul committed himself to God and to the goal that God had for him and his life and therefore for us. Do we do, we do that? I think we really have to ask ourselves that question. Do we prioritize people? Like, But really, because sometimes it's he's so easy to get caught up in everything else, isn't it? But he prioritized people. I think that's going to radically change how some of you live and how you spend your time and money and energy, if that's so. It's going to radically change how you interact with people. Let me read the next bit. It says this, verse 24 to 27. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal price. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Some of you, I, I think this may be very relevant to you. You just need to hear today, keep going. Honestly, some of you need to hear that, keep going. Run for the finish line. Run for the prize. Whatever you do, keep running. Sometimes it sucks. 
Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes you get a battering. Sometimes it makes no sense. Sometimes people don't get healed. Sometimes you have doubts. Sometimes you're going to have more questions than you've got answers. Sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes people let us down. Sometimes people do silly things. Sometimes people do really silly things. Yet run with purpose in every step and keep going. Purpose in every step. Not just purpose when it's easy and when it's going well, but eye on the prize and purpose in every step. Paul, I think, had kind of sensed that the, the Corinthians had, had, had got a bit lazy. They wanted um, rewards without hard work. They'd become more concerned for having pleasant surroundings than they did for having proper training environments. I've, I've always found this so helpful actually personally to reflect on because sometimes I think we just need a jolly good shake you know don't don't settle for for where you are take ground to become and to step into all that he has for you he's basically saying and I know it is kind of obvious but sometimes I think we need the obvious to step into it is don't run aimlessly Paul challenges them to have focus and to have significant focus. Verse 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. You've got to have focus. Paul challenges them to train. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Paul challenges them to focus and to train. Paul challenges them to complete, so we compete with passion. Verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step, not just passion, but to, to fight. I think you get the same from verse 26. Again, Paul challenges them to master their flesh. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Some of that, I think, links back to some of what I, I shared Last week, and I realized for some of you, that is a hard conversation to have. But it's the one we've got to step into to have purpose and to fight and to train and to have focus. Romans 6, verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God you know if you kind of unpick what that's actually saying it's kind of saying that our our bodies can be presented in two ways they can either be used as an instrument of wickedness or they can be used as an instrument for righteousness and I know I say that quite quickly and quite starkly and it can make some of you potentially feel quite uncomfortable but please know I'm not judging you. I want to love you into life. I think it's the stuff that's in the book, and sometimes we've got to have the card conversation to release life. I long for the fullness for you. I think worship this morning was beautiful. It led us on a journey of repentance, all of us on our knees before Jesus, realizing something of his goodness and his glory. Surely that's the people that we want to be. But what we see sometimes in the Corinthians, and I think it can leak easily into us, is that we become lazy. And we can slip up. We need to focus and we have, need to have a razor-sharp, laser-guided purpose. If only we had 
the time for all of the detail of all of this. Sadly, we don't. I think I'm going to just jump on a bit. And uh, um, I don't want to take any of these passages out of context, but I am going to jump on a bit. Paul, in chapter 10, tries to teach them to learn some of the lessons that they could take from Israel's history. He warns them not to forget some of the things of the past and to not fall into some of the traps that they did. It says this, chapter 10, verse 6, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. Verse 14, so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Paul warns of the, the, the almost the, the flippant, careless attitude towards the worship of idols. So much of our culture sucks us into worshiping things and people rather than him. I'm going to talk more about worship in a minute, but sandwiched between those two verses is, is kind of a big one. It says this, if you're thinking, sorry, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If, if nothing else, if you've kind of zoned out and just zoned back in, that's a pretty big grenade to chuck in the room. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. It was a warning shot across the, the bows of the Corinthian super spiritual culture and environment. Honestly, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Be known to be grown. Be known by others. Don't isolate yourself. It's so easy just to go a degree or two off which over a period of time becomes quite a significant margin and a long way off. The backdrop to all of this is this huge warning to the Corinthians not to become complacent and base their eternal security on doing the right religious things. You know, it's so easy for our our faith to become a routine-based performance. Have you found that? Sometimes you're just going through the motions. We're just habitually doing the thing that we think is the right thing to do. And I'm not saying don't do it, but we don't want it to become a religious act. We've got to run with purpose and to get back on track rather than going through those motions. So now chapter 10 starts to cover a whole load of stuff, uh, uh, particularly some stuff around eating. And people have their ideas of what they should or shouldn't do. And some of it is starting to become quite religious. People get offended by what others are eating. And the, the, the range of the conversation and the short time we have together isn't going to do justice to fully go into it. But what I think is really happening is he's trying to speak into decision-making in grey areas. The conversation that they're having happens to be around food and various other things. But, but, it, but do you find it quite interesting that we're, we're a culture of opinions, aren't we? I think they were then, but we are now. And often opinions can be firmly held, but sometimes weakly formed. And you see it right now that politically, socially, environmentally, and spiritually, I often hear conversations around what's the best or the right political leader or the direction for us to go. What does it mean to have a healthy work-life balance? You know, do you have a Sabbath What's the, the right thing for us to do as a culture right now for the environment and for the future of it and for the days ahead? There's huge conversations linking the environment and food and, 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 and all of that, huge discussions around it. And um, people tap into popular culture, don't they? You'll have noticed that McDonald's are currently, as many others are actually, have recently launched the plant-based burger. I think we could get lost 
and we could get divided in a whole world of thinking and opinions. Most things that stem from the right thing then become the dominant thing. And I'm not saying they're not right or healthy conversations. But let's, let's just step back and land on some broad parameters and principles that I think we should have at play in decision-making, particularly in grey areas, because ultimately I think that's the driver of what we should be getting at. Many decisions often have no clear answer. There's not, it's not always one way or the other way. Often there's a tension and there's a middle ground. And I think Paul describes a system for making decisions. And I think we could apply these, these principles to anything rather than just the context of what he was speaking into. And it's, it's kind of this. Let's just get back on track with a few more Ps. But it's kind of this. He says, prioritize God's people. That would be the first one. The second one would be pursue God's glory. And the third one would be perceive God's purpose. Let's just have a brief look at each of those. Prioritize God's people. It's kind of the notion that I think he's already spoken into is put others first. Verse 24 says this, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. We choose what appeals to others rather than our own taste. Ask yourself who will benefit the most from this decision, me or others. You know, last week I um, shared an illustration about my daughter that I didn't ask my daughter's permission to share. Somehow that leaked back to her. This morning I had a conversation with her. It felt like negotiating whatever's going on in Russia at the minute would have been a lot easier, if I'm honest. It was like, oh, we are in complex territory here. But anyway, just want to share another story. And um, because... <laughs> I, I picked my daughter up this week from uh, a school friend's house and uh, as we're walking to the car, they'd barely closed the front door. We're walking to the car and within seconds of the door closing, she said, Daddy, I need chocolate. And I'm like, well, don't, don't we all? But like, that's not the big thing right now. Why do you need it? Anyway, um, I'm like, what did you have for tea? She's like, I need chocolate. We couldn't have any other... You know what children are like. They just lock on. Other than, no other conversation was happening other than we need to know she needs chocolate and she needs it. And um, anyway, we were back and forth for a few minutes about it and I eventually managed to prize out of her why she's fixated on needing chocolate. Like the world was going to end. Daddy, they gave me vegetables and melon. And I'm like, what? Just vegetables and melon? And uh, no, the tea had vegetables. And I'm like, well, to be honest, most teas we give you have vegetables, just so you're all reassured and know. But um, I, get, I get the melon thing. I was like, she just doesn't like melon. So therefore, because she's had vegetables and melon, she needs chocolate. Now, I'm, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I suddenly worked it out. I'm like, oh, no, please tell me you did not make a big thing of it like in the moment and uh, she's like no I, I realized they'd, they'd done the melon they said do you like melon but they'd already done the melon and already served it so it was going to be like so she just ate the melon and I was like well good on you I was I was proud of her I'm like you can have some chocolate for that one <laughs> but anyway there's no link to that no there is sort of a link but prioritize God's people honestly it's not about you what works for the other person I was kind of proud of her because I was like in that moment you just ate melon I, personally, I don't like melon, but what's the, what's the melon you've got to eat? Sometimes, what's the, what's the, I am just here for you? Sometimes for the sake of others, you're going to have to eat melon that you would rather not eat. And, I'll, and let's be honest, I'm not talking about melon at all, am I? I'm talking about showing grace. I'm talking about turning the other cheek. I'm talking about re listening 
sometimes rather than sharing. That's quite hard, actually, sometimes, just to listen to somebody else. I'm talking about giving rather than receiving. I'm talking about the little decisions and steps that advance the kingdom in the moment, in the environment, and in the other person's life. Sometimes that actually means refusing to play the blame game. You know, it's, oh, it's the other person's fault, or the doctor, the doctor botched or messed up the procedure, or the boss never gave me a chance. It's his fault. Blame shifts and makes the responsibility somebody else's pain rather than your pain. It results in something that I think lingers in us, and it lingers in prolonging the misery, and it creates an environment that is toxic where bitterness and judgment starts to build up. Sometimes it's stopping feeling like we're the doormat and actually realizing that we can forgive and we can take steps towards releasing something of the kingdom. And sometimes realizing that that involves vulnerability and making ourselves vulnerable, and sometimes that can hurt, but it's the pain we carry rather than the pain that we project on somebody else. I think that's what it means to eat the melon, because it says don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. We prioritize God's people. The second thing is this, we pursue God's glory. Does the decision that you're making in the gray area glorify God or does it glorify somebody else? Verse 31, and I'm missing some of the context, but it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Does what you do and how you do it glorify God? Does the decision that I am making give people a better picture of who God is? Or does it make people look at me and think of me? We've got to get out of the way so that they say more of him. The third P is this, perceive God's purpose. Ultimately, our mandate is to know Jesus and it's to share him with others. We must always be therefore trying to move that conversation and that mission forwards. So I guess that's kind of the question to ask ourselves. Will this decision please God and will it fulfill his purposes? What is the Father doing? Not everything that is hard is bad. Because with that mindset, actually, it can shape us, it can refine us, it can redefine us. I think it gives us a system for making decisions, whatever that might be in the cultural context in which we live and the life stage that we are. We prioritize God's people, we pursue God's glory, and we perceive and we seek out what God's purposes are. Then I just whiz forward another little bit. Chapter 11 goes on to speak about worship. It focuses prior, primarily on, on, on proper attitudes and conduct in worship. And Paul's main concern is that irreverence is happening in worship. We've got to read it in the context of the situation that is happening in Corinth. The, the matter of wearing hats and, and head coverings was a big conversation, although maybe seemingly insignificant to us now, it become a massive problem between two cultures and two cultural backgrounds that were colliding. Jewish women always covered their heads in worship, and for a, for a woman to uncover her head in worship was a public sign of loose morals. And yet, on the other hand, Greek women may have been used to worshiping without head coverings. And in this letter, 
Paul's already spoken about numerous times, I think, he's spoken about and spoken into divisions and disorder in the church. And both of those things are involved in this issue, and it's starting to become a challenge. And Paul's solution came from his desire for unity among members of the church and for appropriateness in worship gatherings so that they wouldn't be distracted and so that they would just focus on the Lord. I'm not going to dig too much into that specifically because I believe for the Lord, for us in this moment, in this context, in this point of time, wants to stir something slightly more broadly. I mentioned earlier in in chapter 10 that Paul said in verse 6, he said this, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. Verse 14, so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. I just want to say something more broadly about worship because I believe the Lord has, has marked us out to be a people that worship him. It's a precious, precious thing in the vineyard. I'm not owning it as a vineyard thing. It's a precious, precious thing in the church. Globally, it has huge ramifications, therefore, for this city. Corinth was a collection of people who had come together from all over the place with different cultures and backgrounds and prior understandings, which you could say is very much similar to something in Manchester. I therefore thought it might be helpful just to close by sharing a few reflections around worship. I've many, many, many times personally reflected that I wish somebody had told me when I was in my mid to late teens what I know now. The experience of Jesus that I've had compared to what I have had now and what I know and what I've experienced. In my, in my, in my teens, it was kind of this dry head knowledge. And uh, now it's become an encounter with the living God. And if I'd have known that then... It may have spared me an awful lot of pain and very complicated decision-making that probably led me into more pain. But equally, what I know now and have seen now has freed me and released me from so much of that pain and hurt and confusion. It's recentered and it's realigned me. So for some of you, rather than repeat history and allow you go where I went, I just thought I'd take a moment to share with you one of the most profound things that has ever happened to me, how it happened and what that therefore now looks like. Now, this will, of course, be my story. Yours will be slightly different, and I'm not saying I'm right. What I am saying 100% is unchanged. And I just want to talk you through part of what has and what is still happening to me to this very day in worship. Now, many of you, I'm I'm aware, you'll be new to this worship thing. And many of you also, I think, will have just normalized to it. It'll have just become a thing. It's just a habitual religious pattern. That was the thing I was talking about earlier. So imagine imagine me as a 19-year-old having been brought up in a very, very conservative church where once a guy tried to introduce the drums, and I say the drums, I actually mean a drum. So there's one guy hitting a drum at various points in a song, not repeatedly, but just every now and again. And as a result of that, I kid you not, people left the church. Now, the, the, the organ actually was the order of the day, and at times that progressed to, to um, one person singing and one person playing the guitar, and they were like the music group. And I say the music group, it was actually a married couple where one sang and one played the guitar, and we'd stand up and we'd sit down between each songs. And honestly, I am not criticising it. 
It is, that's not where I'm going with this at all. It's not wrong. I just need to tell you what happened to me because at that time in my life, I was a mess. And uh, I wasn't just broken. I was, I was kind of destroyed. And I was weighed down and hurting and lashing out at anyone and everyone. Deeply, deeply internalizing pain and getting incredibly emotionally screwed up. Now, I tell you that because I want many of you to know there is a pathway to freedom. Some, some of you ask, well, how does change actually happen in your life? Well, this, this, is, this is my story. It may not be your story, but you may find part of your story in mine. So I encounter the vineyard. I encountered worship. I only knew the singing of songs, and these guys called it worship. And now what, what was different for me wasn't the word. It was the realization that I started to realize it wasn't about me. It was about him, they always said. It's not about you. It's about him. Have you ever watched that YouTube clip? It's a good one to watch. But anyway, they, the fact that they said that actually did me a massive, massive favor because I wasn't really a fan of singing. I wasn't really into it. I was a 19-year-old lad. Did I want to sing? No. So the fact it's not about me, it's about him, has already done me an instant like upgrade. So that was a good thing, but it just kind of melted me, actually, the worship thing. I melted before him, and I need to tell you that it's changed me inside out because it took my eyes off me, and it put them onto him. Now, I would say that is the predominant environment I've been changed over the years. Oh, without a doubt, I've been zapped a few times by the Holy Spirit and a few other things. Like, you know, I'd use language like I've been absolutely shabbered out. You might use slightly different language. But to say, has that one thing changed me? Yeah, I would actually say the one thing that has predominantly changed me is worshipping Jesus. Because to worship is to change. And I've realized that when I read the book of Revelation in the Bible, that the elders would bow down and they would worship him and they would sit up again and they would see something more of him and they'd be back on their faces worshiping him almost like it's too much and I I realized that that worship was was words but actually it's more than words and I realized it was going to mean and it was going to take everything of me and giving everything I've got because he loves it he created it. He put music in us for his praise and his glory. Now, this, this is just this, uh, very much a side point, but how you worship in the week is going to affect how you worship with your life, and that's going to affect how we worship on a Sunday. So if, if you're ranting and raving during the week, getting irritated all the time and getting caught up in all the sex stuff that I was talking about last week, that's going to affect how you worship on a Sunday. See, sometimes you get caught up thinking in your head, well, it's about the band and how they do it and how it sounds and looks and how it all hangs together. It's not the band. It's how you live your life. And another side point, if I can just go down another slight rabbit, Warren, is, by the way, leading worship, I've never done it because I couldn't you spare you. I can't even clap in time. But that is incredibly costly. Pray for them because it's not glamorous. Sometimes people think it's glamorous. It is not glamorous. But anyway, how you live will affect the way you worship. You will, find, you will find yourself feeling dry and distant in here if you live dry and distant out there. Spend your week swearing and shouting at everyone and then expect the flick of a switch as you walk in to find intimacy with Jesus. It just isn't going to work. I've found actually some of the most powerful encounters of worship that I've had have been outside of this room 
not that I don't want to be in this room encountering God together, and I think it's crucial and it's very important, but he breaks in anywhere that we're open. See, we can make this whole thing like a Sunday slot thing. Actually, it's a lifestyle thing. Honestly, we should be queuing at the door to get in on a Sunday morning, busting, ready, waiting, and ready, because we get to worship Jesus together. Surely the pandemic has taught us something about that. The manifest, manifold presence of God when we worship him together. I'll often be driving the car or walking down the street and I've ended up in tears on my knees, been zapped. Now, I realize for some of you, <laughs> that's a little bit strange. Well, I just thought I would just want to explain to you some of what I think may be going on. Some of you are thinking I'm mad, but I just want to stir as if nothing else to the worship of Jesus. I've regularly had this song, a song that would just sit on my life for a while. Uh, before Christmas, a few weeks before Christmas, there was a song that we sung here one Sunday morning. I think it's called Wonderful. It undid me. When we were here together, I just cried and I cried. And anyway, as I said, I often just sit in a song. A song will just be my world for a while. And uh, that one undid me. I would say it healed me, it freed me, it spoke hope over me, elevated something of my perspective. Anyway, over Christmas, I'd often be driving and the standard thing happens where the rest of them are just all asleep. And um, I just played it and I played it and I played it and I played it, same song. And I played it whenever I could, like all the time. You're like, not all the time. I'm like, no, literally all the time. And the, the kids literally were like, is that the only song you listen to? And I'd turn it off for like five minutes and then I'd try and sneak it on again. And um, what's, what's, go what's going on? Well, well this, let me, let me say this. Sometimes it moves me beyond words. But this is what's going on for sometimes for me. Not all of the time, because it changes most of the time because it's hard to define what it actually is and what's going on. But I thought I'd try and give it words. The words to that song are this. The first line is, Father, you are holy. You know, sometimes I just sit in that. He's my father. Some of you need to hear that today. He's my father. He's my father. He's actually my father. My earthly father has caused me so much hurt and pain, but I have a father who loves me, and he's holy, and he's perfect. I just want you to know you have a father that loves you. Honestly, I know that he loves me and it settles me. I'm not striving, I'm not fighting for position or influence, all of that stuff I talked about that Paul had settled before. I think it's because he'd seen something of Jesus. I was a wreck, but my father loves me and he's holy. Romans 7 verse 24, Paul says this, and sometimes it felt like this could be my exact words, but he says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's my father. I barely moved over Christmas beyond that first line, father, you are holy. Filter your life, your upbringing, your education, your finances. Filter it all through that lens. He's your father, not your earthly father. The second line, Jesus, you're worthy. If you could get beyond the first line, can you get beyond the second? Because I'm worshiping him, not because of me or anything I've done or anything I'm about, but because of him and because he's worthy and holy. It's about him surrendering all of me to all of him. And I'm worshiping him because he's holy. The third line, this spirit, you're lovely. 
oh, goodness me, how refreshing is that? He really is lovely, and I welcome him. And I welcome him now in this room because he's a person. I welcome the person of the Holy Spirit. He's changed me as I respond to his promptings because he's an advocate, he's a comforter, and we need the Spirit of God in our lives, and we need to learn to welcome him. You go on to the next line, God, you're wonderful. I'm not sure I have the language to describe just how wonderful, but he is wonderful. Sometimes you might just have to declare that. Sometimes you might just have to sing it until you actually believe it. And the same for everything I've said before. Sometimes actually singing it teaches us to believe it. Because he is. He is. He really, really is. It goes on, Father, we need you. I need my Father. When I don't think I do, when I think I can seek and crave independence and I can do it on my own, God, please soften me and realign me. Because, Father, we need you. The next line, Jesus, we love you. Can I say that? Some of us have got to learn to say that. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, you're welcome here. What does that look like to make that a reality in our lives, in every part and every aspect of our lives? God, you're wonderful. Father, you're heavenly, it says. Well, so my perfect heavenly Father, my perfect Father who ushers in the kingdom, makes the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He's heavenly. He brings the reign and rule of God that is in heaven here on earth in my heart. He doesn't fail us. His ways are far above our ways. How sometimes I've lessened things to an earthly perspective, but he pushes it back because he's heavenly. He's kindness and goodness without end. That's the next line. It's like, hang on a minute, what? He is kindness and goodness without end. There's no end to his goodness and kindness. I've heard, and many of you will have, if you've been to a welcome dinner, Steph has shared many times some of the darkest, most painful moments in our life. And some of those, one of those was when we, we lost a deeply longed for child. The thing that I've often heard her share about that was that his kindness and goodness was so close and it started to emerge in the, from the ashes. That wasn't the exact language, but it was, it's around that. Goodness and kindness without end. The more we sing that and do so because he's worthy, I think the more we start to believe it and realize it as a truth over our lives and we step into the reality of the spoken word that breaks the power of the evil one that sometimes constrains and confines us. Jesus, your royalty is the next line. With everything I've just said, you fall before the majesty. And I can't get off my face. I see what's happening in Revelation. That you stick your head up, you have another glance at the Father, and you're just flat on your face. Again, you bow down because he's royalty, he's king of kings. He is majesty, king of heaven. You see, I'm not going to go on and on and on, but I could go on and on and on. And I could do the same for every song that we sung together this morning. Because sometimes we sing it, sometimes he sings it over me. Sometimes I'm singing it until I believe it and I'm teaching my soul to understand it and believe it. Sometimes it's encouraging me, sometimes it's healing me. All of the time, it's not even about me. It's about him. And I think he loves it when we love him. And so I'm worshipping him just because he's wonderful and he's royalty and he's worthy and he's endlessly kind and good. You know, 21 years, I've had the joy of knowing him like that. And some, some days, the change in my life has felt quick, and some days it's felt like I'm asking, will, it, will I ever be 
who he's created me to be? Will I ever get beyond myself and my own humanity? But we do, because worship changes us when we take it from us and we place it on him. Some of us will have started to worship something and someone over him. If you want to change, worship Jesus. If you want to know what he wants you to do, worship Jesus. Not just singing, but lifestyle and life choices too. But not just life and life choices too. Also singing. Run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I want it to do. Luke 4 verse 8, Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Psalm 29 verse 2, Honour the Lord your God. Honour the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Revelation 7 verse 11. And all the angels are standing around the throne. And around the angel, angel, elders sorry, and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. Can I call us to be a people that worship Jesus? Not just with singing, but with our lives too. Not just with our lives, but also with singing and our voices. Because Psalm 22 verse 3 says this, Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Would we worship him? Because as we worship him, he comes to live among us. When he lives among us, he changes us and we become more like him. Shall we stand together? Spirit of the living God, who comes and lives among us as we worship him. Would you come and live among us and make your home? We welcome you. just be comfortable with the the stillness and the quiet sometimes the, the longer we wait the more he does Lord we welcome you kind of started by saying it but I really sense the presence of God and I do I did then and I do now I think some of you there's just going to be a moment of just actually just letting him in maybe in a way that you never have some of you that's for the first time just saying Jesus I surrender my life to you For some of you, I think there's a realignment of what it is to worship him with your every fibre.
for a number of you, there's a there's a physical there's a need for physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. There's there's a fountain of living water bubbling to overflow into your life this morning. Some of you, uh, it's like um, you've, you've, life and culture has taught you to worship other things and to, that's become a dominant focus and fixture in your life. It's things and people and even habits or behaviors or things that are spoken over you. You're a worrier. You're anxious. Some of those things, I think, are just going to fall and realign this morning. Some of you just need to know the Father loves you. It's going to reset you and your identity if you actually knew the Father loved you. Regardless of any exposure or experience you've had in your life. No human relationship is comparable. Come Lord Jesus, speak truth over us I pray. I also think in these, I also think in these moments that um, comparison can creep in, and in worship, comparison can creep in. I think often we can um, look around at what we think is happening for other people, um, and that can rob a lot of joy from us, or it can just um, kind of divert our focus. And I just felt, I, I, Maybe that's not the case, but whether for some of us that's a barrier in worship as we come and we stand there and we see what's happening with other people or we hear stories and we think, well, that's not happening for me or that's not how I feel. And I just think God wants to really lift that lie off you. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, he, what's the posture of your heart? What are you saying? What are you, what's he saying to you? And actually, he meets with us in really different ways. So I just encourage you, if that is you, just, um, it's like those horses wear those blinkers, but just invite God into that to try and drown out um, that comparison of, of what you see in other people. Because actually what he really longs for is your heart and your time. And that looks different for all of us. So why don't we um, just do that now while people are, are stood. If you, um, there's something that's been shared this morning or you just sense the Lord is doing something or you just long for someone to pray for you, there is a real safe space up here. And we just really encourage you not to, not to miss that opportunity. And the Lord meets with you wherever you are, but sometimes there's like an act of obedience in coming up. And standing before him. So if we just invite you now to just come up. Some people are already starting to do that.
I think there's an anointing this morning as well. You, you, some of you may have a sense for what that may be for you, but I think there's a there's there's like an overflow of something in the presence of God that He wants to put onto some of you, for, for actually also for us collectively as a church for the next season and next stage. As I sense it, there's a there's a uh, like a breaking of a jar over us almost. Lord, do what you want to do. Step step into that step into that place of the the overflow this morning. Come, Lord. I encourage you, don't disengage from what the Lord's doing. He's powerfully here. If you maybe just zoned out for a moment, zone back in. As people respond, and if you're in a small group, come and pray for some of these guys. Stand alongside them. Let's not leave them waiting. It's quite a bold thing to do, particularly some of those who come first. Just be sensitive to the presence of God in this room. There's a number of people who have responded who would uh, love somebody to join them. If you're if you're in a small group and they're both males and females, still waiting for someone to pray for them. But equally, there's people all over the room. Don't join someone else who's praying for someone else. I always take it if someone's got their eyes closed, it's kind of an open invitation that they'd be up for you praying for them. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.